0: Again, welcome to New City. If you're visiting, we're really glad to have you with us. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 6. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 6, our scripture will be on the screens. If you don't have a Bible, um, we are coming to the end of this short sermon from Jesus that's known as the Sermon on the Plain. And we'll wrap up our series, this series uh, in Luke chapter 6 next week. Um, But this week we're looking at verses 46 through 49 in in Luke 6. And uh, man, these are some really, really hard words from Jesus, just as a warning. Um, Really some of the hardest words um, from from Jesus that, that we'll find. Very confrontational um, very convicting and very challenging for us this morning so I want to pray um, and I ask if uh, if you would pray with me um, pray that God would be good to um, to help us this morning that the Holy Spirit would be good to open our heart and um, our eyes to the truth of the good news of Jesus who he is and what he's done for us um, and 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 to lead us, to lead us to be um, the people that we are meant to be. would you pray those things with us with me? Yeah let's pray. Father, you are good and gracious, and um, even though these words are, are are hard, they are gracious words um, because even in the even in the difficulty and the confrontation of these words to my own life, um, they are they are grace to bring me. Uh, closer to you. So I pray for all of us today that your your Holy Spirit would be good to uh, to teach us um, to open our eyes to the words of Jesus our hearts to receive those words and um, Holy Spirit be good be good to us today to um, to change us more and more into the image of Jesus and the people that we were meant to be. We love you it's in his name we pray amen. Um, So I want to start this morning with uh, some reminders, and one of those is just a quick reminder from Luke chapter 6 of our context for... um, for this sermon and what the verses we're going to talk about today, just so we have a better understanding of what's going on. So let's start with the authority of the king, the authority of the king. Um, these events that we have read about and we're talking about this morning happened pretty early in Jesus's ministry. Um, people have heard of Jesus and um, they've seen him. They've seen miracles, the miracles that have been performed uh, by Jesus. Uh, They've heard His teaching, and so large crowds at this point in His ministry are gathering to to follow Him, to see what's next, to hear His teaching, to see all of the miracles. Um, Some are there just for the show because this would be an incredibly huge event, and so some of them are there just to see what's going on and see what's going to happen next, but other who are there, Jesus calls his disciples. Before his sermon starts in Luke chapter 6, There are two confrontations that we've talked about in this chapter between Jesus and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, religious leaders of the Jews. The religious leaders confronted Jesus one day, upset with him because he had allowed his hungry disciples walking through uh, a field of grain to pick and eat the grain, and it was the Sabbath. So they were upset with Jesus because as a teacher, they said, you're letting uh, your disciples break the command. Of the Sabbath. So Jesus responded to them essentially saying that that he understood the law better than they did. Now, these were the teachers of the law, and Jesus is saying that he understands the law better than them. He understands its intent far better than they do. And Jesus even claimed in um, in that confrontation to be Lord of the Sabbath. So, this is a huge claim. By Jesus of authority over the Sabbath, the day that God set apart as a day of rest and worship for his people. Jesus is claiming to have authority over that day. Then Luke tells us um, there's another confrontation immediately after this one. Luke tells of another where Jesus upset the religious leaders by healing a man. On the Sabbath. And this time, Jesus is in the temple and sees the man whose hand is withered. And rather than waiting on the, um, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, to come to him, it says that Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so Jesus brings the confrontation to them. And again, Jesus points out to them that they, they don't understand God. They don't understand the Sabbath, and and really, they don't understand the heart of God behind the law, and they have no heart for this suffering man. So Jesus sort of points all of this out in a confrontation with those religious leaders, and then he heals the man with the withered hand. In verses 12 through 16, after we read about this from, from Luke, Jesus went to a mountain, and it says that he prayed all night. The next morning, he calls his disciples to himself. So it seems that Jesus has gone up alone to pray on the mountain. He prays all night. He calls his disciples to himself. And among the group of disciples that he calls up to himself, he chooses 12 who would become the apostles. The apostles, um, the 12 minus Judas, of course. Uh, They all then go down the mountain, and uh, Luke tells us that when they do, there is gathered a multitude of people, a multitude of people from all over the region. Luke 6 verse 18 says, this multitude of people who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowds sought to touch him for power came uh, out from him and healed them all. So in those events, uh, Jesus was not only making a claim of authority, uh, but what he was doing is actually fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures uh, about what the promised one would do, right? The, the one who was promised from the beginning, who, who would make right all of the wrongs, who would fix all of the brokenness, who would redeem people from sin and bring them back to a relationship with God. Jesus was demonstrating now the authority that he had claimed by fulfilling these scriptures, Um, scriptures that talked about giving sight to the blind, making the lame to walk, setting the captives free. He's demonstrating his authority, the authority that he's claimed over the Pharisees and religious leaders, authority over the law, authority over nature by healing, authority over the supernatural as he casts out demons. The promised king had come. Right, that's what Luke is telling us. The promised king had come, and he was establishing his kingdom with all authority. Then we read this in verse 20. Right, He, he has come down the mountain. All of these things are going on. There's a multitude of people who have gathered to hear him and to be, be healed. And verse 20 says, And he lifted up his eyes on the disciples, and said, He lifted up his eyes on the disciples, and he began this sermon, the Sermon on the Plain. Now, I want us to talk about the audience of the king's message, the audience of this sermon, the, the, the people that Jesus was primarily speaking to, it was his disciples. The multitude is there, but Jesus looks at his disciples and he begins to teach. So most likely Jesus was set up in a place where others like in the multitude could hear his teaching as well. But I love these pictures of Jesus and you see them throughout the New Testament where where Jesus is teaching and equipping his disciples. And there's this multitude, this maybe carnival-like atmosphere with all these people who have gathered to see Jesus. Jesus to be near Jesus to hear him and Jesus turns and begins to teach his disciples those who were who were closest to him now normally when we think of the disciples or at least often we think of the twelve, but there were far more than twelve disciples who followed Jesus. And these disciples who followed Jesus it was an incredibly diverse group of people that called Jesus their teacher. In this group, there were very religious Jews, Jews who, covenant that God had made with them, who followed the commands that, that are found in the Old Testament, the covenant that God had made with them. Very religious Jews. They believed in God. They, they believed the law, they followed the law, they did the best they could to follow it. Then, in the midst of, of this multitude and in the midst of Jesus' disciples, there were irreligious. Those were Jews who knew the law, they knew who God was, but they didn't believe in this God, and and they didn't follow the law. So some of Jesus' disciples had come from these religious Jews, some had come from the irreligious Jews. There were in Jesus' discipleship or or disciple mix, there were men and women, there were wealthy and poor fishermen, tax collectors, business owners, there were people of, of great power, and there were people of of horrible poverty. Marginalized people. And all of them in this diverse group of people called Jesus their teacher. They were his disciples. A disciple in Jesus's day was just someone who had devoted themselves to following a teacher. And when I, when I say following a teacher, it wasn't just that they gave mental assent to what the teacher was teaching They believed what the teacher was teaching, and they followed the teacher in his teaching. And a disciple would try as best they could to emulate the life of of their teacher, to practice all of the things that their teacher told them to practice and to live as their teacher said they should live. These are the people that Jesus is primarily talking to in this sermon on the plane. He lifted his eyes to his disciples and he began to teach them. Now this is super important this morning and I want to tell you why and I want you to hear me on why this is important. Jesus is not talking to them, right, to those people out there. Like oftentimes in the church, we love a sermon that talks about how bad that the world is and how messed up those people out there are and all the things that are wrong out there. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus wasn't talking to those people. And Jesus wasn't talking to his disciples about those people. Jesus' message was to the people who professed him to be their rabbi, to be their teacher. Jesus' message was to those people who were, who were following him. So, so, so that would be a message to us, the church. Jesus' message is to the church, and it's not about the world out there. It's not about how messed up the world is. Jesus' message is to the church today. It was to his disciples, and it's really about how messed up they are. It's Jesus trying to help his disciples to know and understand that they are a mess and here's what it should look like to live with him as king. Here's what it should look like to live in his kingdom. So in this sermon, Jesus teaching his disciples, those who follow him, um, Jesus tells them that, that those who are poor because of him, they are blessed. Right, like That is completely upside down in his culture, and to be honest, completely upside down in our culture. And yet Jesus is saying, for those who are poor, because they follow him, they are richly blessed, for theirs, he says, is the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is pursue those blessings associated with following me, pursue those blessings rather than the riches of the world. Blessed are you who hunger now, Jesus says, because you are my disciples, you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, you're weeping, because of me will one day be turned into laughter. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil, because you follow me. Blessed are you, rejoice in that day, because your reward is going to be great in heaven. Jesus was teaching his disciples in part that there would be and likely already was suffering associated with following him, but but that suffering would be greatly rewarded and the reward was far more valuable than the riches and satisfaction and good standing that that they thought would be theirs by pursuing the things of the world. What Jesus is doing is is warning and urging his disciples to stick with him. He is urging them and making them a promise. I know that it's going to be hard, but you're going to be blessed. Stick with me. The blessings that will be yours as you stick with me, as you follow my teaching, will far outweigh any promises that this world has to, to offer you. Jesus then pronounces woes, um, woes for those who value wealth and comfort and satisfaction and place more than they value the king and his kingdom. Woe to you. Woe to you who are captured by this broken world. That's really what he's saying. Woe to you who are captured by this broken world. We went on, as we went through this, um, talking about Jesus' teaching. Jesus moved on from there to talk about loving your enemy, loving your enemy as one who is a part of his kingdom. As one who is a part of the kingdom of God, Jesus says we should love our enemy. Very upside down, right? Very upside down in Jesus' culture where, where they loved their friends, but, but they excused the hatred that they had for their enemy. It's just as upside down for us and our world today, and if you, if, you, if you doubt me on that, just look at your social media where an enemy is seen to be anyone who holds a different view than you hold or than we hold, and in the social media world that is a reflection of, of us and our world, hate is the expectation. And so it's come to be for our world, very much like it was in Jesus' world, where it's okay to hate people who you see as your enemy, and your enemy is anyone who holds a different view than you. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not what the kingdom of God is. That's not what it's like in my kingdom. Jesus says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the way of the king. If someone hits you, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. If they take your cloak, give them your tunic. Give to those who beg. Lend without interest. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And he says, Do these things. Love your enemies and do good because this is how you have been treated by the Most High God. Be merciful. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. D- don't be so judgmental of others, Jesus says. Don't, don't be so judgmental of others. Be humble and be gracious and be helpful. In fact, Jesus says, pour out those things on, on others just as God has poured those things out on you. Forgive just as you have been forgiven. And don't forget that you have been forgiven much. And then we come to our passage today, and really it's the conclusion of this message that Jesus has been preaching. The conclusion of the King's message. A good sermon always has a good conclusion, connecting you know, the, the, the teaching in some way to the lives of the people who are listening. And, and Jesus has already told the listeners what they need to do. Right? He's teaching his disciples, here's what it looks like to live in my kingdom. Here's what it looks like as you follow me for your king. Love, give, be merciful, don't judge, be gracious and forgiving. Pursue the kingdom of God. Pursue my kingdom above all that the world has to offer. And then verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus says to his disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I tell you to do? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I just want to remind you that Jesus is talking to his disciples. It means he's talking to you and me. He's not, not talking to those people out there. He's not talking to... He's not talking to the person sitting next to you this morning, or the person that you might think, boy, I wish they were here to hear that today. Jesus is talking to you and me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do you profess to be my follower and not do what I say? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you struggled with this one this week this has been this is difficult that is that is a hard thing if we if we if we take that question from Jesus and really look at our own lives and that and that's why we have it to 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 have this question and examine our own lives Keith why do you call me Lord Lord and not do what I say If we just keep it for now right here in Luke chapter 6, let me, let me flesh it out a little bit for us. If we keep it right here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is saying, Hey, disciples, those of you who follow me and profess my name, you really need to love your enemies. Right? Here's what it looks like in my kingdom. You, you love your enemies and you do good to those who hate you. Now for us... We're like, oh, that's nice, Jesus. It should be that way. But did you see what they did to me? Do, do you know what they said about me? Do you know how they have embarrassed me by their, by their actions? Would you, would you really expect me to love them after, after all that they've done to me and the way that they've hurt me and the way that they've wronged me? I mean, that's a great idea, but... This was, this was bad. Jesus says, but, but, but I'm, I'm telling you, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Jesus, I'm sure that that is good and it works for you, but you just don't understand I am not that sanctified. Jesus, I don't deserve to be treated this way by those people. And Jesus says, verse 35: No, no, listen, love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind. Listen to me. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful. Even as your Father is merciful. And then us. But Jesus, they are Democrats. And they are posting about gun violence and abortions. And they're ruining the economy and our jobs. And they're taking away our freedom, Jesus. Even our religious freedom. Or this one, but Jesus, did, did, did you not know that those were Republicans? And and they don't care about school shootings, they just want their guns. And they say they're pro life, but really they're just pro unborn life? Like Jesus, don't you see that? They don't care about people, they don't care about babies. They're ruining our country and they need to be stopped. Jesus, we have to fight against those Republicans. We have to fight against those Democrats. Jesus, we have to fight for what is right or we're going to lose it all. We can't stand for that. No, no, wait. I, I, I guess you didn't hear me, Jesus says. Love your enemies and do good. Love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not those Republicans. Judge not those Democrats, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give. And it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. For for, for the measure that you use to judge others and to condemn them, that's the measure that you will receive. course it isn't just the commands of jesus from this sermon it's all of jesus's commands right love your neighbor as yourself but jesus my neighbor is gay what what about the great commission disciples as you go make disciples as you go about your life, as you go to school, as you go to work, as you go to your kids' ball game, as you, as you raise your kids, where, where, wherever you go, as you go, make disciples. Telling them about me, Jesus says. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them everything that I have commanded you. That, that, that's Jesus to the disciples. That, that's Jesus to us. The Great Commission is our commission. Go and make disciples. And, and here we are. Jesus, I, that is great it's just not my gift no 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 I said I said all disciples but Jesus I'm an introvert I'm an Enneagram five it's not my Enneagram number Jesus, I don't remember Scripture all that well. I, I'm afraid. What if I say something wrong? Jesus tells us in another place, if, you're, if, you, if you are at odds with your brother, go and be reconciled. If you're at odds with your brother, go and be reconciled. If someone sins against you, Jesus said, if someone sins against you, go and talk to them about the sin against you. Jesus did not say, go and talk to your friends and anyone who will listen about the harmful thing that was done to you. Jesus says, go. Go to the person who has wronged you and talk to them. It's not the first time we've heard that. Jesus, I hear you. I just want to make sure I'm thinking right, so I'm going to go talk to all my friends. Don't lust. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Take up your cross and follow me fast. Pray. Trust me. On and on and on we could go. With the commands of our King. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Then Jesus offers a parable, a parable of promise and warning. I think when Jesus talks about these floods that are coming against us, he's really um, giving us a a, a picture. The flood is meant to be a picture of life's trials, just the trials of life, and they are are hard. Just over the last week or two here at New City, and, and, and there are probably things that I don't know, Right, but just the things that I know in the last few weeks here at New City, it, 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 it's been terrible. One of our, one of our partners, their, their brother, lost a toddler. A, another of our partners has a toddler who has, has, has been having seizures, and they can't find out why they're having seizures. An MC leader learned that his brother has brain cancer. Another partner recently lost her mother. Being a follower of Christ doesn't remove us from sorrow. We, we continue in this present kingdom until our king returns. We continue in this life of brokenness. We we, we continue a a life of of our own brokenness, of brokenness with the people around us. We live in a fallen, sin-cursed world, and we will until he comes back. And so that means there will continue to be job loss, unexpected financial crisis, sickness, death, injury. Floods will come. Floods will come. Jesus says that the person who hears my words and does them, this person will stand firm against the raging waters. Jesus says this is the person who is prepared for the flood. This is the person who has dug deep and built their foundation on the rock. And, and in that, we have a promise of sorts from Jesus. Jesus is telling us that these rains will come, and when they come, because we have dug our foundation deep on the rock, we will be prepared for the floods. For the person who hears the king and follows the king, he will be or she will be prepared for the floods that come, and you will not be shaken. The contrast is with the person who hears the word of the king but does not do it. The person who ignores what the king has said. The person who who makes excuses for not doing. That person, Jesus says, is is like someone who builds a house with no foundation. In good weather, that house is fine. It's a great place to live. In good times, everything is great. But when even the slightest storm comes and the waters rise against that house, without a foundation, it immediately falls, and it's ruined. Jesus says the ruin is great. Jesus is is warning those disciples. Again, Jesus is talking to his disciples, those who profess him, as Lord, Lord, Jesus is warning them. And what he's warning them is hear me. Hear the warning from Jesus. Your words are not enough, your profession is not enough. Jesus is saying to them, it's not enough that you you, you say that you are my disciple. It's not enough that you show up for the big events as a spectator. It's not enough. For you, the person who hears the king but does not follow him, when, when those days come and the rains fall and the waters rise, when the torrents of the flood come against you, you will not stand. Jesus says you will fall, and worse, the ruin of that day will be terrible. The ruin that Jesus has in mind it isn't a house, but a life. It's the life of a person who professed to follow Jesus, but when things got bad, they had nowhere to stand. They had nothing to stand on because there was no foundation, only a profession. Your words alone are not enough. And I would say for us again in our Bible Belt South, our words are not enough and neither is our attendance. Our attendance on Sunday morning is not enough. Walking an aisle and crying, no no matter how emotional that, that was, walking an aisle and crying, even being baptized, it's not enough. There must be something more, something more than just our words more even than willing ourself To obedience. So so let me close with this. The king's message and the strong foundation that stands, because that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted his disciples to be warned and and to be encouraged to stand in the right place. The king's message and the strong foundation that stands. At first glance with the words that I've said and what we read from Jesus, it, it, it might seem to us that Jesus is focused solely here on doing good works. Right? And so we might say, well, well, Christianity and following Jesus, the only thing that can save us is to be good enough. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? The person who, who obeys the, uh, the most, the person who keeps the rules good enough, that is the person who is safe? Listen to me. That is not what Jesus is saying. I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking I have to work harder and and do more and be better. That's not what Jesus is saying. If that were the case, the Pharisees would have been in great shape with Jesus, and that's the truth, because honestly, the Pharisees were the best law keepers around. If there was a rule and it had to do with God, the Pharisees wanted to keep that rule, wanted to keep that law. They knew all the laws. They knew all of the additions to the laws. They knew all of the explanations and applications of the law. They prided themselves on following every letter of the law. The Pharisees would have been great if this was about just doing more. Listen to me. What they did not have was faith. They had obedience, but what they did not have is faith. What they lacked is faith. They did not believe that the man who who let his disciples eat grain on the Sabbath, the man who, who healed the man with the withered hand in the temple, the man who gathered multitudes to be healed, the man who cast out demons, that man that they were looking at, they did not believe that he was the promised one. They didn't believe that he was God with us. They didn't believe that the king had come, that he was was their king, that that he was the king, uh, the king with all authority, all authority on heaven and all authority on earth. They, 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 They didn't believe that he knew them. They didn't believe that He he knew their heart. They didn't believe that He knew them and He loved them and that He had come to save them, that He would do for them what the law never could do. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe they needed to be saved. They believed they could save themselves through their good works. They, 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 They didn't believe that they needed the life, death, and resurrection of the King. They didn't believe that through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, Jesus would would offer them redemption from sin, restoration to God the Father, adoption as sons and daughters, an offer made to anyone who would only believe. There were disciples Remember, that's who Jesus was talking to. There were disciples that day as Jesus looked out at them who confessed with their mouth, Lord, Lord. But they didn't really believe. And when things got difficult and following became costly, they walked away. It it wasn't because they were necessarily weak people. It was because what they lacked was faith. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, a great chapter on faith in Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, not with the intellect, Not with agreement on some knowledge, but with the heart one believes and is justified. At the heart of our dismissal of the king's commands lies one thing. A heart of disbelief. I want to say that again intellectually, we might be willing to say that Jesus is our king, but at the heart of the the dismissal of any of his commands lies one thing for each of us, and that is a heart of disbelief. While our mouth may say, Lord, Lord, our heart says, not on this one, Jesus. Jesus. Our mouth says, Lord, Lord, and our heart says, I think I am better suited to know what I need than you are, Jesus. I know what I should do. I know what is right for me. On this one, Jesus, I will be king. Hear me. Jesus is not ultimately calling us to a life of busy, good works. He is calling us to a life of faith. A, a life believing that he is who he says he is, that he has done what he has said that he has done, and that he will do everything that he promises that he will do. A, a life of, of, of faith that, that, that he is our good king. That he is our our good king, a king who is is kind and and gracious and loving and merciful, and a king who is all-powerful, a king who reigns now and forevermore with all authority in heaven and on earth. And when when we truly believe that, I'm talking about when we believe that with our heart and not with just our intellect or some mental assent, when we truly believe that with our heart, that this is our King. When we we move from the intellect deep into our heart, then doing what our King has told us to do is not work and it's not hard becomes the natural overflow, the natural overflow of of awe and reverence and worship. It's the overflow of a heart that loves the king. What a great question to close out this sermon. Why do you call him Lord, Lord, And not do what he tells you. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful that you are kind and merciful. That your grace is new every morning. I am thankful that you continue to be kind and forgiving and gracious, patient, with me, that, 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 that it's not a one-time saving grace, but again and again and again, you are patient. Patient with me in all the ways that I try to be king. Father, forgive me. Forgive us. Help us. Help us to see the beauty of our king. Help us to see so clearly... That our life overflows in joyful obedience. That more and more we look like him. We love you, Father. It's in his name we pray. Amen.